And we've tried to look in the scriptures where the scriptures say this will trip you up. <laughs> where the scriptures say this is going to this is going to slow you down or stop you spiritually from growing to become who God has made you to be. We find um, a number of those places, and so we've tried to pull those out of the scriptures and bring them to form this series. And we put kind of an umbrella over this whole series from First Peter, where Peter says that God has giving, uh, given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. So there's this tension. God has given us what we need. He has shown us what we can do and who we can be, and yet we still are struggling to become that person, right? And today we'll look at an area that for many people just is a difficult barrier to overcome. A young girl was writing a paper in school, and she came to her dad and said, Dad, what's the difference between anger and exasperation? And the dad says, well, it's mostly, it's mostly like a matter of degree. Let me, let, me, let me demonstrate for you. So he pulls a phone out of his pocket, and he, he dials a number. And a man answers, and he says, hello, is Melvin there? And the man says, there's no one named Melvin living here or with this phone. Why don't you check your number before you dial? And he hangs up. And the father says, see, now, now I, think we, I think we irritated that man. <laughs> right? He's probably doing something really important. He's very busy doing something, and we just interrupted his day. He said, now let me show you what anger looks like. So he picks up his phone, he dials again, and he dials the same number, and he says, hello, is Melvin there? <laughs> and the man on the other said, now look here, all right, you just called this number, and I told you that there's no one named Melvin here, you got a lot of guts calling me again. Father hangs up after the man hangs up, and he says, now that, now that was anger. He said, now let me show you what exasperation looks like. <laughs> So he dials the number a third time. He gets a very angry hello on the other end, and he says, Hello, this is, this is Melvin. Have there been any calls for me? <laughs> now that's exasperation. <laughs> now there are indeed a lot of different levels of anger that we have experienced and that we have seen. Um, and there are people that provoke that anger uh, though sometimes not as purposely as that father did with those phone calls. Now, the Bible lists anger as one of the seven deadly sins, right? But that's not why it made our sermon series. The reason it made our sermon series is because what we read in James chapter 1. So I want you to open your Bible or your Bible app, maybe grab that Bible in the chair in front of you. It's on page 1196. And this morning, we're going to acknowledge there are times when anger is appropriate, Okay? where anger is actually a justified response to what's going on. However, anger is often a result of sin, okay? and it's also, also um, a, common, a common cause of sin, okay? and we'll unfold that this morning. But we're also going to look at how, how, do, like how do you respond to someone else's anger? Like as a believer, as a Christian, what's an appropriate response for me to an angry person, and then we're going to nestle into this issue of how do I control my own anger, those feelings inside of me that sometimes just rage. So in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19, we have a, what will be a familiar verse to many of you. 
says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Translated, anger will keep you from representing God well and from growing spiritually. Now, I'm not going to should you to death this morning, all right? I'm not going to put forward some false front or plastic version of Christianity that says, you know, you should never get angry or you will never get angry, okay? The Bible doesn't do that, and we're not going to do that, okay? But today, um, that said, like when we inappropriately respond to anger in people or to situations, okay? or when we are characterized by anger, or when we ourselves find ourselves holding on to anger, it doesn't reflect God's righteousness. And it's going to cause us to stall out spiritually. It will mean we will not grow into the people that God has created us to be and that Jesus died for us to be. Okay? So to start with, let's, just, let's take a sampling from the Bible. Let me give you three uh, pictures of appropriate anger in the Bible. Okay? Not all anger is inappropriate. Uh, for example, in, in Genesis chapter 31, we have a story of Jacob who is um, being wrongfully accused by his father-in-law Laban of stealing things that belong to him. Now, if you read the broader story, you realize that Laban's daughter, okay, who's also Jacob's wife, her name is Rachel, that she actually did steal her father's household gods. And then she deceived her father so that he would not figure out that she stole those things. But Jacob is the one who's accused of stealing things from his father-in-law. Okay? Now, understand this. Jacob had worked for Laban for 20 years. Okay? He had been um, deceived by and taken advantage of Jacob for 20 years. Okay? He pretty much built his wealth on the back of his now son-in-law, Jacob. And Jacob was angry at the accusation that he had stolen anything from Laban, knowing that Laban is the one who for 20 years had been stealing from him. And his anger was appropriate. It was justified. In the book of Exodus chapter 32, read the story of Moses coming down the mountain. He'd just received the law from God. He'd met with God. And he's coming down to give the people the word from God, only to find that the Israelites had created a golden calf and were worshiping that calf and feasting with drunkenness. And he was angry. And as a result, it's, we read that he, he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain that God had just inscribed the law on these tablets. But God doesn't chastise Moses for his anger because it was appropriate. People were treating God with contempt, and it made Moses angry. Now, in the New Testament, we find a number of different places where Jesus expresses appropriate anger. In the book of Mark, chapter 3, we have this contention going on between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're looking for ways to accuse Jesus and trap Jesus and, and all of these different pieces. So Jesus, as he normally did, went to the synagogue 
to worship. And there he found the man with a shriveled hand. And he healed the man. And the Pharisees got angry because he healed the man on the Sabbath. It was inappropriate anger. Because look at what God had done. And Jesus was just um, appropriately angry because they gave no consideration to the miracle that they had just seen God do. And Jesus gives us these words. He says, he, the scriptures do. Jesus looked around at them in anger and, and get the last part, and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Listen, there are times when anger is not a sin. Okay? Anger is a justified response to the circumstances. But you'll notice whether it's Jacob or whether it's Moses or whether it's Jesus in these particular cases, their actions that followed their anger were not sinful. Okay? They didn't um, create sin by the actions afterwards, and sometimes that distinguishes them from us. Now, um, one of the biggest dangers regarding anger in the Scripture that we find and that addresses is, is the fruit of anger. Okay, Think about this with me. We, we've learned over time that some sins, well, they're like circles in the water when a stone is thrown, right? The ripple effect, they just keep going on and on and on, and anger is one of those kinds of sins. One sin produces another, and oftentimes unrighteous anger initiates a series of sins that are unfruitful and destructive, and that's why the caution is so large in Scripture about this particular area. At one point during a game, a uh, a basketball or a baseball coach said to one of his young players, he, he said, do you understand what cooperation is, what a team is? And the young boy nodded. And then he goes on, do you understand that what matters is that we, that we win together as a team? And the boy again nodded. So the coach continued, when a strike is called, okay, or when you're out at first, you don't argue, you don't curse, you don't attack the umpire. Do you understand that? And the little boy under, understood, and so he nodded, yes. Well, good, said the coach. Why don't you go over there and explain that to your mother? <laughs> the ripple effect, right? Or sometimes the ripple effect, like coming at us from other people, maybe even a parent. Because anger is a sin that is difficult to confine. It spreads. In fact, Scripture tells us that one of the fruits of anger is conflict. Okay, one of the ripple effects, if you will, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, an angry person stirs up conflict. A hot-tempered person commits many sins. It's a great reminder not just to avoid being angry or to avoid being an angry person, but I think it's a great reminder to stay away from angry people when we can. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 33, for as churning produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. A lady came one time to Billy Sunday and, and tried to, to rationalize her angry outburst. She said, there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper. I blow up and it's all over. He said, well, so does a shotgun. And look at the trail it leaves behind it. Ever feel like that? 
been in the presence of someone who just thinks, I'm okay, I just blow up and then I go on. And yet you're left dealing with the results of their anger. And it's very difficult. Most of the things that we um, read about in the scriptures reflective of anger are exactly what we see in real life as reflective of anger, that anger is sin. Psalm 37 verse 8 says, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. And depending on which translation you have, it says it only leads to harm or evil or trouble or wrongdoing or sin. None of those are very flattering descriptions. Paul instructs us clearly in Ephesians 4, in your anger do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Stop your anger. Make a different choice, Paul would say. And when you do wrongly act out in anger, make it right through apology or sometimes more appropriate, make it right through seeking forgiveness. I agree in most cases with Benjamin Franklin who said, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. Most of the time it's completely true. Now we're going to get back to James where we're going to end up here and how we can overcome anger personally. Okay? But let's look at what the Bible says about how to deal with an angry person. Because okay? some of you may not struggle with anger or at least you may not struggle with showing the signs of anger. All of us struggle with it at one point or another. All of us feel like there's a moral line that's been crossed and it just it, it, it swells the feelings in us. But not everybody responds the same. So how do you deal with an angry person? Okay? You realize like, we can't control other people. Okay? It's not within our ability or even our responsibility. Even though um, being in relationship with someone who's angry, sometimes like that's our reality. Right? A family member, um, a spouse, a child, a parent. Um, sometimes people are angry. And it's, it's not like we can just easily move away from that. So God knows this. And I think his word gives us some guidance about what we can control and what needs to be our response to the angry person. So it gives us three ways to respond. First, the Bible would say, respond with gentleness. Okay? With gentleness. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You get it, right? E either one creates ripples. <laughs> either one is like throwing a stone in the middle of the water. You're either spreading gentleness or you're increasing the anger. You choose the response that you initiate. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 4 says, if a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Sometimes, what is needed is someone to start the cycle of calmness and gentleness instead of building and increasing the intensity of the anger, Solomon would say. Another way to challenge the angry person is to respond with wisdom. Right? If you've been through many conflict resolution seminars or classes or been trained that in any leadership or team capacity, oftentimes we talk about the illustration that like every time you come to a fire, a relational fire, an anger fire, 
something like that, like you're carrying two buckets. One bucket is filled with gas, and the other bucket is filled with water. And our response to an angry person identifies which bucket we're drawing from to throw onto the fire. One of it is going to make it rage more greatly, and the other is going to diffuse it. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 8 says, Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. Wisdom is often needed to diffuse conflict and begin solving problems instead of just creating more of them. So pray for wisdom when you're in the midst of, of conflict. And then third, when we can, Scripture instructs us to respond by keeping our distance. Solomon counsels us in Proverbs chapter 22, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Remember, you can't control other people, but you can control your response, okay? And when possible, (laughs) try to control your proximity. (laughs) Stay away from them, Solomon would say. Now, since we're all going to face times of anger, right? And since not all of our anger is going to be justified. And since I hope that we all want to grow spiritually and become closer to who God has created us to be without anger as a barrier, let's look back at James chapter 1. And James is going to give us a strategy for responding to anger. In James chapter 1, again, in verse 19 and 20. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that that God desires. So we break these verses down beginning with that very first part where he says, dear brothers and sisters, like he's talking to us as believers, Remember 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness? Like we do we really believe he's given us everything we need to not become angry people? Do you really believe that even when you become angry and it's not appropriate anger, he's given you everything you need to overcome that anger? And even when we've acted inappropriately angry and there seems to be some cartilage, <laughs> you know, some, some damage in the, in the way, um, do we think he's given us everything that we need to make that relationship right? Okay. I believe that all three of those things are true because we're believers, because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And so for anyone who says, I can't, that doesn't fit with the Scripture. For anybody who says, oh, not me, it doesn't fit with the scripture. So assuming this applies to all of us, he says, let's be quick to listen and slow to speak. The Irish proverb says God gave us two ears and one mouth, so maybe we ought to listen twice as much as we speak. <laughs> Good advice. James is encouraging us, I think, to respond to conflict instead of reacting to it. Teaches us that this, this calm response involves listening actively rather than just letting our tongue be triggered by what we hear. 
I think the, the emphasis is not so much on being polite as it is on purposefully listening so that the result is a wise response that is free from anger, a wise response, one that is thoughtful, one that is loving, one that is biblically driven. The result of a, uh, of a quick and angry response, haven't we figured out, like the result of that is rarely God-honoring when our tongue is triggered, when our response is triggered in anger. Listen, God responds um, to us daily when we sin against Him with grace and love and patience and compassion. And James is simply encouraging us to respond to the people in our lives the same way that God responds to us who sin against him. See, words have the power to wound, but they also have the power to heal. So choose to be part of the healing, or minimally, just choose not to participate in the wounding. And I, would, and I would say as believers, like, this is really important. Be quick to listen, not just to the other person. But at the same time, be quick to listen to the Holy Spirit as He leads you and how to respond to what is being said and who's saying it. Okay? And that can happen because you've chosen to be slow in the deliberate in your response which in that case is much more likely um, to be able to process what really should be said and to guard your heart and your tongue as you speak words that can bring about healing or at least God's desired result. Let your cues come not from the person who is spewing anger at you, but let your cues come from God himself who's trying to speak to you and very possibly trying to speak through you. So James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And then he goes on that we ought to be slow to become angry. Now, the Bible just has a lot to say about this issue in particular. A sampling of some of the words from the wisdom literature brings us this. He says, he, <clears throat> these are all Solomon. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. But the one who's patient calms a quarrel. A wise man restrains his anger and overlooks insults. This is to his credit. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And control your temper, for, ang for anger labels you a fool. Just a sampling. Scripture has much to say about this. Many of us can validate this ancient Chinese proverb that says, if you're patient in one moment of anger, you will escape a hundred days of sorrow. <laughs> That's an amen. Curb your desire to vent. Your desire to declare that you are right about something. A wise response is the fruit of a careful thought and an angry response. Listen. An angry response often voids the benefits of even the correct position. You might be completely right in your thinking and completely wrong in your response, and no one will care that you're right in your thinking. You might actually have a good solution to a problem, but your anger prevents anyone from hearing it 
because all they hear is your anger and your rage and your being out of control. And finally, James reminds us that human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Okay? It could also be translated, righteous actions do not spring from human anger. So if your anger is out of control, it's not going to result in God being honored at all. Remember the story of the little boy who had a bad temper? We've heard it before. Um, a dad's kind of at his wit's end. What do I do with this boy and his anger and his temper? So he gives the boy a bag of nails. And he says, every time you get angry, I want you to drive one of these nails into the back fence. So day number one, he drove 37 nails into the back fence. He had a real issue going on. But slowly he decided, you know, it's a lot easier for me to control my temper than it is to keep driving all these nails in this fence. And finally he had a breakthrough, like he went a whole day and didn't get angry. And so he told his dad, Dad, I had a good day today. <laughs> no anger, no nails. And so his dad said, well, here's a good idea for you, son. Like to reward yourself, every day you have a day without anger, pull out one of those nails. And it took a long time to pull out all of those nails when he didn't lose his temper for all those days in a row. And eventually he came to his dad and said, Dad, all the, all the nails are gone. Such a great day of victory, right? And the father took him and led him back to the fence. He said, Son, you have done great. I'm really proud of you. But look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar. Just like the holes in a fence. Most of us are adults who reflect the reality that the fence is never the same. We have those words playing in our mind of angry people in our past. And God says, don't be one of those angry people. Don't create the scars. James's point here in verse 20. Like human-centered anger, like it's sinful because it doesn't produce behavior that is pleasing to God. And it just loads a burden on other people in our lives. If we, as followers of Jesus, if we learn from them and we humbly listen to them and we follow these words, like inevitable times of conflict are going to come. But we're under God's direction we find ourselves dealing with them in a way um, that brings glory to God. And when we, when we experience that victory like we sung about earlier, we know we're moving forward spiritually in our spiritual growth. I want to close with a, a story. It's just a real practical story from Tony Evans' book, Guiding Your Family in a Misguided World. He tells the story of two monks, and they were moving from one village to another. They're going to help bring in, the, bring in the crops. And as they were walking, they came upon this older woman who was sitting next to a river and was really frustrated because there was no bridge and she couldn't get over the river. He said, that's all right. We'll carry you over the river. So they joined their hands together, and they lifted her up, and they carried her to the other side of the river, and they sat her down, and, and they went on their way. And about another mile down the road, the, the second monk who didn't volunteer for the duty, said, look at my clothes. They're filthy from carrying that woman across the river. And my back still hurts from lifting her, he said. I can feel it getting stiff. The other monk just looked at him and smiled. About another, I don't know, 
four miles down the road or so, the second monk said again, my back is hurting me so badly, all because we had to carry that silly woman across the river. I can't go any further because of the pain, and he just, he just sits down right there in the middle of the road. And the first monk looked down at him, lying on the ground, moaning. He said, have you ever wondered why I'm not complaining? He said, your back hurts because you're still carrying that woman. I put her down five miles ago. <laughs> if you struggle with anger, I want you to think very honestly. Like if you struggle with anger, is it because you're still holding on to things you need to let go? Things said to you, things done to you, things said by you, Things said done or said or done by you. <laughs> Things that either need to be reconciled or simply offered to God long ago. Because they're things that Jesus Himself died for. Do you need to let them go? Bigger question. Will you let them go so that you can move forward spiritually? You can. God says he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Will you take hold of that? Will you let it go? I'm going to pray.